Turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29. It's right in the middle of your Bible. Just open it up. It's right there behind Psalms. And before I read the text, I want to thank everyone for joining us today and those who join us via live stream. And to all our visitors, like Ben and others who drop in almost every service, and those who catch us on live stream, like Ben has, I want to say to you, it's okay to belong before you believe. Did you hear what I said? It's okay to come here, sit down, make yourself at home, be comfortable, and belong before you believe. I want you to know that we welcome each and every one that shows up here, no matter who you are, no matter what you are. I want you to know that this church is a safe place to walk into, and you will be greeted by friendly people. And you would be made to feel right at home. So we welcome you. I want you to know we see you when you're here. And no matter whether you're saved or unsaved or beat up or broke up or bruised up, we're delighted to see you. If you come in here limping, if you come in here angry, If you come in here bitter, if you come in here all messed up, we want you to know we're delighted to see you. If you don't smell right or look right, we're delighted to see you. And the reason we feel that way is because that's what God ordained for the world He said, I'll build a church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I thank God that we can be a part of that church that Jesus is building. And we always look forward to the day, if you already haven't made a commitment to Christ, we look forward to those who come in who are unchurched or unsaved, We look forward to the moment that they will become members of the kingdom of God and a part of the family of God. So it's okay to belong before you believe. We welcome the unchurched. You understand that. We're just glad to see new faces every time we come into the house of God. Also, I want to thank you now and also later here in just a few weeks, couple of weeks, for setting aside a service this month to celebrate 35 years of pastorship here. And for the cards I received from many of you over the years, expressing your appreciation and your love for the many years of labor. I love how you underline. I love words. And I love how when you send me cards and letters, 
You underline, you highlight, you put it in quotes, uh, you scribble it up, and you want me to see those adjectives that describe how much you love me. I love that. Keep it up. Amen? I love that. And don't look at me funny, you love it too. I love how you underline those words and say those things. It especially thrills me when you express your happiness and how much you love being in the church. So what I want to do here is read a letter that I received a while ago, and to this day, I still look forward to seeing this sister return. She went off to college. She got married, and uh, she joins us via live stream. I don't know how often, almost every Sunday. But this is a letter I received from, for pastor's appreciation. I'm just going to read a part of it. Dear Brother Tony, I just want to thank you for all that you have done for the church and the congregation. I wish I could tell you every day how much I appreciate you and Sister Donna. In honor of pastor appreciation, I just wanted to write you a short letter to just say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to God and to the congregation. I am thankful for your preaching, and I look forward to every service because I know I will hear a message from God. I appreciate all that you do. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. That was written by a teenager. You know what I'm holding in my hand? This letter that I just read, it's the social proof that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's evidence to the world to show the world that there is a better way. There is a happier way. And we know who showed us the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. Thank God for it. The gospel that goes forth from this pulpit throughout every year, the camp meetings, the revivals, the regular services, the prayer meetings, all thank God. Thank God for everybody that contributes to the kingdom of God. You know what I love about the gospel? God equipped it with power to open up our hearts and our eyes of our need to God. It warns us to flee the wrath that is going to come. It's an expression of God's love and mercy and long-suffering and how much he wants to see all of us make it. Proverbs 21, 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Vision is what I want to talk to you about for just a moment. Vision is not exclusive to the church. It's also essential to secular things, the secular world for success and achievements and how to sustain a livelihood. What is a vision? 
It's the act of power, the act or power of seeing a better future. There are many opinions and definitions of vision, but one definition that I like is vision is a mental sight with corresponding action. It's wonderful to get a word, to get a revelation, to get a vision from God, but if you don't put legs under it and you don't produce some action, all it is is a wasted, wonderful moment. And if your vision is only for this world, you know what Jesus says, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? Vision is your ability to see something you can do for God. It's a fire in your soul, a burden that can only be lifted by action. I read in Nehemiah, the second chapter, just a little while ago, his homeland was destroyed. The walls were destroyed. He went to the king. The king saw his uh, sorrow expression, said, what's the matter with you? And, and he said, look, I'm not, I'm not sick, king, uh, king, but my heart is very sorrowful. And the king said, what, what is it that has made your heart so sorrowful? I got a burden, I got a vision to go to my homeland and try to build up the city and build up the walls and make God's people happy again. It's a vision. Vision is something that transcends this world and goes on forever with God. It's a world of righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. It's a world without end. Proverbs 29, 18 is a very popular text, and often when the text is quoted, where there is no vision, the people perish. Many preachers imply God wants to fulfill our visions and our hopes and our dreams and our wishes, but that's not what this text is really all about. The whole emphasis of the text is speaking of what happens when the Word of God is neglected and rejected and ignored. Some distort the meaning, especially the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers, to fit their man-centered message that God wants to fulfill your dreams and, and, and your visions, and God wants to give you health and wealth and prosperity, and nothing could be further from the truth. Man's first priority is not health, wealth, and prosperity. Amen? It's to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things the heathens or the Gentiles are going after. Your heavenly Father knows what you need, and he'll take care of you, but put God first. Read the second part of that verse. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Somebody said, how can I find happiness? What's everybody looking for out there? They're looking for happiness. How can I find it? You can find it right in between the pages of God's word. Happy are those Happy are those people whose God is the Lord. Thank God for that. 
Thank God for his blessing. Simply put, people without the influence of God and his word in their lives will perish. So let's read the text, Proverbs 29. I'm just going to read verses, uh, let's see, 16. Proverbs 29, chapter. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteousness shall multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteousness shall see their fall. Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. This is a text for the ages. This is a text for our day and time. This is what we are seeing every day in the cities and streets of America. These days, all we see is iniquity abounding. All we see is the youth running wild. All we see is our neighborhoods being burned down and pilfered and robbed. Today is a time for a vision from God. Americans need something that will eclipse, surpass, and outshine what the devil is displaying in our city streets and in our businesses and schools and colleges and government and civil and local institutions. Verse, seven, verse 16 says, the wicked, when the wicked multiply, transgression increases. It's no secret. Iniquity is abounding. It's running over in our streets. It's everywhere. Iniquity ha has gotten into every, every institution in the world. The only place that iniquity has not gotten into, the only place the vulture's eye has not seen, is the church of the living God. Thank God for that. There is a safe place today in America, and that's in the church that Jesus built. And then the wise man identified the problem in verse 18. He says, where there is no vision, no vision from God, no word from God, no revelation from God, the people perish. Why? Because they've quit obeying the commandments of God. The wise man is saying without hope, without seeing hope for the future in God, without a strategy of inspiration from God, people will perish. But if someone can get a vision from God, Things can change. Nehemiah got a vision from God. He had a sorrowful heart. And he went back and turned a nation back to God again. Gave them protection again. I love that scripture in the Hebrews where it says that Moses, he overcame all of the power of Egypt, wasn't afraid of Pharaoh. Why? Because he saw him who is invisible. That's what we need to see this morning. We need to see it clearer than we've ever seen it before. We need to see that there's somebody 
in this world that is 100% in control of everything. And nothing slips by him. He sees everything. Thank God for that. Those visions will not compel us. When we look out at what's going on in the world and we see iniquity abounding, we see uh, all kinds of wickedness and rebellion running loose in our streets, those visions will not compel us forward. They will not inspire us. They will only leave us fearful, faint-hearted, and hunkered down in our homes instead of going forth conquering and to conquer. When people can't see what God is doing, and when they don't feel connected to what God is doing, you know what happens. They stumble all over the place because they see no value in the things of God unless they can receive a vision, a change of heart from God. Actually, the Hebrew translation of Proverbs 29, 18 says this. I like this one. Where there is no preaching, people cast off restraint. Everyone does that which is right in his own eyes. They have no choice. When people reject God, they have no choice but to fulfill all the lust of their flesh. If God doesn't get into your heart, if God doesn't get into your life, your marriage, your home, if God doesn't get into our pulpit, if God doesn't get into our choir, if God doesn't get in our pews, if God doesn't get into everything that goes on in the church, we are without strength. And it will be impossible to hold the flesh down. You heard me say it before. It's like trying to hold a, a beach ball under the water. It just keeps coming up. The notion in the text is full of wisdom for both the saved and the unsaved. It's incentive, church. We need incentive in view of all that's going on around us. All the heartache, all the cold-blooded murder, all the craziness that's going on. We need incentive to move forward for God. We, knew, we need to move to a more grander position. We need a break from all that's going on in this world, and we've got to get up on the mountain high enough so we can see things clear enough. What we are currently experiencing in lukewarm religion or in sin, there are a lot of people that are sick and tired of living the way they're living and being defeated every day and being frustrated and being filled with fear and doubts. But thank God, if your heart can get sorrowful enough, if you can get sick enough of life that's not bringing the happiness and the fulfillment that you want and get to your knees and look to God and say, God, I need help. I need something that will lift me up and over all these feelings and all these failures. 
The vision speaks of the need of becoming more and more like Christ to help us get through each day without losing our focus on God. The vision speaks to our desire to want to improve. You know what's dangerous for us? It's a wonderful thing to get saved. Know that you're saved. It's a wonderful thing. But what too many do is they level out and they plateau and they don't want to go any higher. But higher is where God wants to bring us. God wants to give us dreams, Holy Ghost dreams. He wants to give us visions. He wants us to find incentive through the Holy Ghost that we can do better. I don't know how long I've been preaching, a long time, but every time I listen to myself preach, I say to myself, oh my God, these people have been listening to that for 35 years. God, make me better. And by the way, Make them friendlier. Amen. Something in these days needs to keep us going and growing and sowing and glowing through all the darkness and deceptive days ahead. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Stay focused each day on the things of God, for sufficient unto each day is the evil thereof. Every day, now almost every hour, has enough devils and temptations to deal with without worrying about tomorrow. If we lose our vision for the future, we will lose our incentive to want to transcend all of these things. Part of keeping our vision alive is what enables us to recognize the opportunities to see the kingdom of God come with power into our hearts and lives and into the hearts and lives of others. Churches and individuals that lose their vision and confidence to do good things for God, they end up waiting for others to set the pace. And all they do is sit around for years. Spiritual vision is viewing our lives and ministries through the lens of God's word by making sure it is, first of all, biblically based. If you're getting a vision, if you've got uh, inspiration, if you're anxious to do something for God, you've got to make sure that God's in it. You've got to make sure that you're where God wants you to be. And the greatest vision that any of us can get is to see things like God sees us. Our lives, if we're going to make a difference, have to be lined up with God's word. This is much more than dreaming. It's doing what we can to change destinies by winning souls. And the way you can tell if it's a vision from God, the Holy Spirit will inspire you, will inspire your heart. 
And you will feel the weight. You'll feel the burden. It's going to take Holy Ghost inspiration to break free from our love of comforts and conveniences. Vision is what we see in our hearts and dreams. Vision is what we see in our hearts and dreams which do not presently exist. But when we attach our energy and talents and abilities to God's vision, then something's going to happen. Then our dreams can become real. One of the very sad things about life is many dreams will be carried to their graves, unfulfilled. Many churches will not rise to their full potential. Many Christians will not rise to their full potential. We'll just go along to get along. We're saved. We're on the wagon, so let's just get by with as little uh, effort as possible. That's not the way to live. And yet, that's how a lot of Christians are living today. Vision is also a healthy discontent in our hearts with things as they are, which tells us that things can be better. Vision is a holy discontent with things that are because you see a future that can be better. Christians see their discontent, and they say, by God's grace, we can do better. Parents have visions of discontent for their unsaved children. Couples have a vision for better marriages. Pastors and preachers and evangelists have visions for a better church and for themselves. But all of that will not change until we step into action and make ourselves available unto God. That's what Nehemiah did. That's what many have done. Look at the unity issues in our churches. How many are discontent with relationships? How many believers are under a strain with one another? I'm like you. I don't like strained relationships. I like to feel free and like to know that everything's moving in the right direction. I like to know that everything is smooth between me and my brothers. I'm discontented with disunity. Man doesn't become a failure until he is satisfied with being one. I think that's one of our greatest dangers. We can look around and we have such beautiful singing and we have good services. We have wonderful revivals, camp meeting. We see things going along and it's so easy to just say, well, the pastor will take care of it. The Sunday school teacher will take care of it. The choir will carry it. The worst thing we can do is level off. We are not at our full potential. We are not as good as we can be. We're not as better as we can be. Amen. One person sees persecution as a nightmare and the other sees it as God's classroom for opportunity. 
Our response to life struggles all depends on how we see things. And it's so important that we see things as Jesus saw things. Church, we've got to see ourselves in the hands of God at all times and know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Some people respond to their trials and challenges by walking away from God, while others respond by pushing through. That's why David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some respond by quitting. Others respond by walking through their valleys. If you're going to go through trials, listen now. If you're going to go through trials, at least come through it with some wisdom. At least come through it smarter. Right? Come through it smarter than you were before. Your pain needs to pay you for your misery. If you're going to be hurt, if you're going to cry, if you're going to be tempted with bitterness, at least come out of it wiser than when you went into it. Learn from your struggles. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from our bad decisions. Don't fall for the same tricks of the devil. Don't let the flesh walk you into another jam. When trouble comes your way, you need to say, Look, you've been through battles, you've failed, you've fallen, you've been knocked down, you've been through all kinds of struggles, you've been through all kinds of war. And you've got to come out. Listen to me. You've got to come out of your skirmishes and your slumps You've got to come out of it better. You've got to get better at being knocked down and getting through it quicker. When trouble comes your way, you need to say, Oh, I remember you. You broke my heart. Oh, I remember you. You're the one that stole from me. Oh, I remember you. You're the one that lied to me. A good memory sometimes helps us. Oh, it may be different names, different people, different places, different addictions, but you got to be able to say when your failures and your problems, and the devil shows up, you've got to be able to say, I remember you. No thanks. I'm not going down that road again. No thanks. You made a fool out of me, but not anymore. you got to come through your battles, and that's why God allows us to go through trials to keep making us tougher and better and more able to cope with all that the devil is going to throw at us. Solomon asked for wisdom. 
on how to handle his people. And immediately following that, all kinds of problems walk into his palace. And two women walked in arguing over the same baby. You know how it ended. Somebody hurt you. Get over it. Somebody called you names. Get over it. Somebody violated you. Get over it. God will give you the grace to get over it. Somebody disagrees with you. Let it go. Amen? If you get better over, if you get bitter over the little things, you get bitter over life, and you miss heaven, you have no idea what hell is going to be like forever and ever and ever. If, thing, if you think you got problems, just let these little things in life knock you out, bitter you, cause you to quit, cause you to give up, and the devil is just waiting for people like that who don't know how to handle and walk through their battles and overcome their trials. Stop playing the wounded deer. Every time somebody looks at you crooked. Stop letting people play you. Stop letting people intimidate you. You know how many millions of people today can't even say anymore what they think? Freedom of speech has been strangled. They can't even say what they think. They see all these things going on in the street, all these people killing one another, robbing, and, and our, our stupid system says, well, you, you, you can steal up to $499, nobody will bother you. You can throw somebody and give them a sucker punch, we'll let you out. Stop letting people play you. I got lumps and bruises to prove my battles. I used to have wings, but look, they're gone. They got chewed off in the battle. I got missing hair to prove that I've kept the faith. And by the grace of God, I will graduate one of these days with a valedictorious degree. Visions also have the potential Zeal without knowledge has the potential to become perverted by misguided ambitions, unbridled emotions, and a lot of hideous holiness concepts that are being pushed on people. Vision is alignment with God's word and his perfect will. The highest form of vision, I repeated this, is when what we... C lines up with what God sees. That's perfect vision. And what does God want us to see? What's the ultimate vision that God wants to bring us to? 
He wants to bring us to the likeness and fullness of Christ. And we all got room to be better in that area. Listen to the more correct translation where there is no preaching. I've already quoted it. The people cast off restraints. In other words, true vision comes from God's word when we line up with God's law. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. This is important. When God's word is mishandled, you're looking at a preacher that was there. I'm looking at a bunch of Christians that were there. When God's word is misunderstood and mishandled, we can become barbaric and we can become condescending in our applications and opinions towards others. The religious world is getting too worldly. Their vision is getting clouded by greed. $1,000 suits, $1,000 alligator shoes, big, uh, bigger churches, who's got the best plane, who's got the biggest church, is distracting from genuine Christianity and holiness living. And brethren, we got to come out of that kind of nonsense. There's so much of that kind of nonsense in religion today. Religion has become a racket. People are being hustled every day. They're being played every day. And all they're doing is making these bishops uh, and these apostles uh, rich. A lot of church pastors call themselves bishops and are adorned with extravagant jewelry and million-dollar mansions and expensive cars and preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel to conceal the materialistic greed and hunger for temp temporal things more than God and try to make their faith look all pious and religious-like, churchy, but it's not real. Religion is full of all this foolishness and nonsense. I don't care who your bishop is. I don't care who your apostle is. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care about this or that. All I care about is that you're displaying real Christianity. A lot of churches in this country, they're doing church well from one perspective, but they're not doing Christianity well. They do church well, but they don't do the kingdom of God well. All of this extravagant religiosity and flashy church stuff and pious pomp and elitist, elitist pastoring is taking souls away from our Savior and biblical Christianity because this is what happens when we don't get and hold and keep and live a vision. A lot of churches do church well, but they're light on Scripture. They love the hype, but they don't love the holiness. We exalt men. We don't exalt Christ. They worship their bishops and treat Christ like a bystander. A lot of worship in America is sickening today with all the theatrics and sensational entertainments. And flip the coin. 
over to the legalistics. And God help women who walk into churches having worked all day, all night bartending to raise a family and pay their bills and walk into churches where pants are not allowed or maybe her thong is showing on Sunday morning and we don't want her in church. And we have the nerve to ask people who come in and don't look exactly like us, we have the nerve to meet him at the door and say, I'm sorry, but you can't come in here. Someone who smells like alcohol and we don't want him in the church or someone whose skirt is a little short and we don't want her in the church or someone who is all tattooed and we don't want them in the church. Really? Really, church? Have you forgot what your Savior is like? Have you forgot who your Savior is? Have you forgot that he spent a lot of his time with prostitutes? He let a prostitute wash his feet. He went home with hustlers and tax collectors, had lunch with them. He spent a lot of time at their houses. Can you imagine Jesus saying to somebody, you're not allowed to be in this clique. And such were some of us. Thank God we got a vision. Thank God we saw ourselves and said to God, God, I want to be better. I want to be a better church. I want to be a better person. I want to be a better Christian. The church of Jesus built wants sinners in the service. They can belong before they believe. Outside of the disciples, Jesus had many friendships with sinners. But you know who it was that hated him? It was religion. It was professing Christians. So I want to say it's okay to come in here if you don't know Jesus. Because when you are here, we want you to catch a vision of what Christ can do in your life. We want you to experience the life-changing power of the gospel. I'm going to close. Justin, if you'll come, let's prepare to sing a song. The reason a lot of churches, and, and I'm not saying you're that way, but there's so many things going on religion that Christ cannot put his approval on. He can't put his approval on the pride and the greed and the attitudes. I thank God for this church. And as much as this church is doing well, it can do better. How many believe that? Amen? It can do better. And the reason a lot of churches are not doing well is because the saints don't have enough grace and patience to love sinners into the kingdom of God. You know what God gave you know what God gave God authority to draw the lost to him by the thousands? 
You know what was so attractive about Jesus Christ? See, we can do better. Come. We want to have a son. Do you know what gave God the authority to attract so many sinners and ungodly people to them, to him? They knew he loved them. Don't you know people can come into a church and they can, I mean people that are in the street, in the ghetto, hustling, no good, lying, cheating, whatever, but they can come into church and know immediately if we love them. Because they can feel whether you do or you don't. I believe a lot of religious people need a vision of God's love for sinners. I believe we need a vision that we can do better for God. How many agree with that? I believe God wants to take this church higher. I believe God wants to make our services even better. There's no limitations with God. I believe God wants us to love one another with pure hearts fervently. We can do better. I believe God wants us to move a little further away from the world and a little closer to God. We can do better. And if you need any incentive to want to be better and get better and get closer to God, just look out here and what's it telling you? What's all this going on out here telling us? The end is near. Nobody knows the hour. Nobody knows the time, but God. But when we look out here, and we know we're in the seventh seal, we know we're in the Laodicean age, we can see prophecy and revelation, we can see we're almost at the end of the gospel dispensation. And when we see all that, we ought to be saying to ourselves, I've got to do better. I don't have as much time now to win souls. I don't have as much time to fix my own life. I don't have as much time to say I'm sorry. That's kind of the burden I felt all week. We can do better. And oh, we appreciate it when visitors and, and, and unsaved and unchurched people come in here. But we hunger for that moment when they can be transformed, when they can be saved. We believe that the gospel that is preached is the power of God unto salvation. We believe we can do better, church.
And that's what I want to ask you to consider as we stand. You've been a great audience. Thank God for, for every one of you. But we can do better. Now this is the question I want to ask and we're going to sing. Do you want to be better? Everybody here has room to be better, but do we have the heart to want to do better? I pray that God will take us to higher heights. God bless you as we sing. Page 392. God bless you. Page 392. If you'd like to come and ask God for a vision, ask God for the inspiration to do better, believe me, God will do it. And there's people in this audience who know what I'm saying is true. And God can't wait to do it for you. God bless you as we sing.